That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Okay, welcome to another episode of that naturopathic podcast. Michelle, how's it going? I'm I'm super stoked for our, our guest today. Very I'm giddy ve- for your guest I am. today. I'm like I'm like fangirling a little bit right now. I don't know. Yeah. I'm gonna have to learn how to contain it throughout this interview today because I'm super stoked. <laughs> I'll try to do the same. I'll try to do the same because this is my I think it's my third time, uh second or third with with Dr. Anderson, who's like one of my absolute heroes in our profession. And I was saying, um, I don't have a lot of heroes, a ton of heroes, but he's like the grandpa, like the the kingpin, the the genius of of all naturopathic medicine i think in north america and that's dr paul anderson again and i'm very giddy to have you on the show thanks guys it's like the nd that nds consult to get better at their craft this is like he literally does that so <laughs> and that's what he does he's now made a living out of that because everyone probably just kept asking questions he's like let's just put this into our practical space <laughs> hold my beer yeah <laughs> yeah yeah Dr. Anson, thank you so much for coming to uh, to chat with me and Michelle. Um, it's a pleasure, like I said, and and um, I think I think Michelle sort of said from the top when we were having our little pre-talk there, we should talk about the Anderson Eight today and and how that's like a a framework of of understanding complex, difficult, chronic cases. Um, and you told us you didn't make up the name Anderson Eight, but maybe you could tell us. Uh, well, like, I think I'm going to assume that most of our listeners know about you. Do you want to talk, maybe give a little bit of an intro about like the story of Dr. Anderson small? Cause it's a long story now. It, yeah. The older you get, the longer the story is. Uh, so I am a naturopathic physician. I practice and live in uh, Washington, a little North of Seattle. And uh, I've been, um, doing this for you know a a long time and my prior life uh was in more of the allopathic side of medicine i started working in uh medical labs etc in the uh, later 70s uh so i've been around medicine a long time mom and dad uh physician and a nurse um so kind of grew up with it and i realized uh part way through somewhere in my history if i if i went into allopathic medicine i'd probably get in a lot of trouble because i (laughs) i I tend to like to be inclusive and work off the menu and even you know even if you go back like 30 some years ago when i was making that decision even back then i could kind of see well you know they're going more to formulaic and you know protocol-based medicine which is great if you have an acute problem Mm -hmm. uh but i knew i wouldn't be able to stay <laughs> in, mm-hmm. yeah. in the uh so uh then i 
started to see a naturopathic doctor and uh, took my kids there and all that and was just so impressed with uh, the the type of medicine that this uh, guy practiced and uh, what he knew and everything uh, that, that really started the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so my practice, except for the first two years where I was doing very much family medicine, uh, the rest of the three decades worth uh, have been split between complex, chronically ill people and then people with cancer. And mm-hmm. usually my cancer patients tend to be the more uh, higher stage, more advanced type cancer. Um, so that's been that's been my practice life. And as, as you mentioned, so I actually started teaching naturopathic doctors in 1994. Um, and um, I was teaching other, like I taught university stuff before that. So I was, I like, I like to talk, but I also like to teach. It's, it's sort of my thing. Uh, so my patients were also targets of teaching mostly. <laughs> um, and uh, so the teaching though evolved over time because I was teaching a lot of students and then it's sort of like everyone sort of has your name in their brain for something. Uh, so then when social media uh, started to become easier to use, et cetera, because people don't realize we didn't always have these communication devices. Uh, what I found was people then could contact me 24 uh, seven and they still do on <laughs> every platform. Uh, and so I thought, you know, I, I need to start to put this stuff together. I need to start, you mm-hmm. know, keeping copies of these long answers I give people or whatever, just so it's, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. And so that sort of merged into my more educational side that uh, takes up more of my time than patients now, although the, the patients I do have are, you know, one of them is worth about 20, you know, uh, regular patients. So so I stay busy. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Educate your education. Uh, information is so valuable. So just like, thank, thank you for putting that work out there and like taking the time to do that. And, um, there's, you've filled in a really incredible void, I think for a lot of us who were seeking information and didn't know where to look. So like, thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> it's always good to hear that. Cause you know, a lot of times people are using stuff and enjoying it and, you know, they just assume you, you know, that they're happy so yeah, yeah, i usually yeah. only hear when someone's unhappy with something no no we're very happy with what you put out there <laughs> thank you that's, that's very nice yeah. well yeah but the, the the venn diagram that you cover between like what's uh core say core science understanding maybe from your background in laboratory medicine and then you don't cut any corners with like naturopathic principles too and you you somehow are able to to merge those two and that's so that's so fucking hard man and you do it and there's not many who do so yeah um thank you uh, for doing that yeah yeah those those are those are two things that are very complementary but it's not always apparent you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they cross over so uh Mm -hmm. yeah all right great thank you so the reason um I actually reached out to ask you to come on the shows because I attended uh, a conference and you spoke at the conference. And that's where I learned about this so-called coined Anderson's eight. And that talk really stuck with me. Um, And the reason I wanted to bring you on for today's episode was 
one, I found as a clinician, it helped give me the language to articulate things to my clients so mm -hmm. that I can explain things to my clients who are dealing with a more complex condition that has to be unpacked. And I found that it was extremely helpful to prepare them for what that journey might look like. Um, so I wanted to be make more clinicians who are listening to our podcast aware of that, but also just the general public who are dealing and trying to unpack things um, so they can understand what might be required of them as, as they want to begin to work on their own health. So um, I would love you to speak a little bit about how, how, how you kind of came about for the Anderson eight and what, what that actually means for our audience. If you can start there, that'd be great. Sure. So um, the first thing, you know, just to full disclosure, uh, like a lot of these things, this, this was not something that I had real crystallized, you know, a long time ago. Uh, it, it is, it is a way I've always thought, and that'll become more apparent as we talk through it. But as you know, uh, I usually tell in the story, um, I would get harder and harder complex chronically ill patients. And there's this phenomenon with, you know, if, so acute illness is, it might be horrible, but it's a little more straight line linear treatment. You know, if you break your leg, there's only so many ways to fix that. Uh, if you have a strep throat, there's only so many things to do there. On the other hand, if if you don't even know why you're sick and you've been mm. sick for five years or 30 years or whatever, your body is so confused that when you start to do the right thing and start to get treatment, sometimes your body doesn't even know that's correct. So there's a lot of, there's a lot more follow-up with chronic illness, obviously. And so what I noticed over time was okay, I had this sort of holistic model in my brain somewhere that wasn't really well, you know, uh, elucidated. But as my patients would come in, okay, we, you know, the first month we're kind of working on whatever the biggest problems were, whatever I thought, you know, was maybe underlying. And then somewhere between, you know, week three, four, five, six, something would shift and there'd be maybe a new thing would come up or maybe something got worse and something got better at the same time, which confused them. And so each time was reassessing, okay, where are we now versus, you know, whenever we started. And it was really more, uh, well, now probably, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, where I started uh, mentoring more, you know, other doctors and working with them and had time to kind of think through you know, well, I can't transport this amorphous thing I have in my mind to you, you know, as a, a doctor, I, we don't have that technology yet. Uh, so I better come up with words and a strategy for this so you could learn it. Uh, and that's so the doctors I was mentoring at the time called it the Anderson 8, because there's there's eight areas where I would tend to look in these chronic cases. Um, and then that was my name. So that's how they named it. Can you break down what those eight areas yeah. are? So, and, and we can certainly spend plenty of time talking about each one, but so the first area, and I will say these are, some are deceptively simple sounding, but that's because it's easier to remember. Cell function. Now, cell function, and there's, they, they don't go in a, you know, some kind of hierarchical order. They're all equal. It's just, I had to start with something. So cell function includes a ton of stuff like your micronutrient status, uh, how healthy your cell is, both on the outside and the inside, um, how well your cell is communicating and how well 
your cell is getting good stuff in and bad stuff out. But then it also includes things uh, such as uh, genetic or genomic problems a person may have where they may, you know, everybody's supposed to work a certain way, but you can have certain genes that might get pushed on through your life and then your cells don't work like other people's do. You know, so so all the stuff that just makes you uh, from the cell outward you. Um, and so while this is not something you can quote unquote fix, you know, overnight, it's such a core area of how our bodies work that um, that's probably, I put it as number one, um, because it really kind of, it, it goes from all of the things that we need to create life and keep it going. And how do we move them through these, you know, real complex uh, cells that we have in the body. The next one, <clears throat> and again, no reason I put them in this order, but the next one is uh, toxicity. And, you know, the world is way more toxic than it was, you know, you know, as a kid 60 years ago. And it's a lot more toxic than it was, you know, when my father was, you know, a kid 90 years ago. Um, and it's uh, infinitely more toxic than it was even two or 300 years ago. And, you know, there's plenty of data on, you know, how we've polluted the world, et cetera. And, you know, you, you can kind of get stuck on that because, of course, that's a, a real downer. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, yeah, it's like, you know, you tell that story and people are like, great, because <laughs> we, we can't make it go away. All right. This, this mm -hmm. is the world we live in. And right. so our bodies look and act like someone 100 years ago or two or 300 years ago. And the cells basically work the same way. But we have a different set of challenges uh, from an environmental point of view that we have to deal with. So our bodies go through way more um, dealing with toxins, you know, every minute uh, than, you know, like I say, my father, whatever, certainly my grandparents, great grandparents. Uh, so toxicity I find is a big deal. Now that is getting to be more common because we have better ways of testing for it now. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you even, you know, cause I've taught um, very specific like uh, clinical uh, toxicity uh, management to physicians for over 20 years and i can tell you 10 years ago number one that the testing was a little harder to interpret and get but also just it wasn't the first thing or second or third thing that came up on the mind of most you know most clinicians uh now if you're not considering toxicity with a chronically ill person and kind of a broad set of toxins mm -hmm. um you probably are missing something because they're so they interrupt your your end your hormone system they mess with the way your cells communicate they do, just nothing good comes from it. uh mm -hmm. they can slow your immune system all sorts of fun things yeah the next are a category that i call resistance factors and this is probably one of the i don't know i probably started to see the impact of this more and more about 10 years ago maybe 12 or 13 now um when I started to look a little more deeply into why do people get infections and then we just play sort of, you know, like wheel of fortune, only it's wheel of infection and you treat one thing and then another one comes up or that one doesn't want to go away. And, and again, in the acute care model, normally if you've got infection A, you can kill it with something mm -hmm. and that's a little easier. 
in chronic illness, because body's so confused about what's going on, uh, you tend, uh, I used to tell my patients, well, you're an infection collector. Mm. And so it does, you know, it does no good long-term to focus on this one bad bug that we found here, because I guarantee you for every one we can test, mm. there's 10 or 20 we can't test that are probably just as bad. And mm -hmm. so the point of that is, yeah, we got to do something about the guys we find, but also we have to slowly over time, get your body more where it's not a good home. And also we need to take away whatever reasons these uh, infectious agents have collected to be stronger than you are. So those are mm -hmm. resistance factors. Biofilms are a huge one. Uh, we know way more now than we used to about that. And, uh, and a lot of that is because the federal government in the United States anyway, um, long before COVID and before we were worried about a lot of other things, apparently uh, had named biofilm formation as one of the biggest public health threats. Um, mm. It's It's been, it, that was not publicized because again, that's a real bummer of a story. And uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really, um, well, all of the, uh, all of the research into how to treat them, et cetera. A lot of it was sequestered by the military and other people, but now it's happening. <clears throat> You're, you're having anti-biofilm strategies when you're in the hospital, but you don't know they're happening because they're just mm. part of what they do now. So that's a big deal too. And there's other resistance factors like toxicity feeds in there a lot. Um, the next is just generally your immune system. And, you know, it's, we, humans brains like kind of to reduce things and, and make them simple. And uh, the, the human body is anything but that. But the bottom line is that your immune system uh, generally doesn't need to be really slowed down or sped up. We think of, you know, boosting immune system. That's a good concept. But more long-term, what your immune system really needs is to be able to operate um, within the band of, you know, lower and higher function that it's supposed to. Your immune system, like, like your hormone system, incredibly dynamic. And, mm -hmm. and we, don't, we don't feel our immune system unless we're sick. So we don't realize that, you know, today, let's say, just to be as simplistic as possible, there's 500 different signaling chemical uh, combinations and all the things that make up your immune system. It's way more than that. But let's just say that um, you might have three or 400 of them all kind of in the middle. And you might have 100 that are really shooting up and doing big things and, and you know, another whatever's left over uh, kind of slowing down. And tomorrow they could be totally the opposite because of whatever you're exposed to today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what you want is your immune system to go back to being able to modulate, uh, not necessarily just jacking it up, you know, mm -hmm. or slowing it down. Now, in again, in the more Western, you know, allopathic world, in autoimmunity, often the strategy is trying to slow the immune system down because autoimmunity, your immune system's doing the wrong thing and too much. So we try mm -hmm. and tamp it down. Well, that's good for acute, you know, symptom management. But long term, what we would like to do, and this is not an easy task, but long term, you would like it not to be either over or under regulating itself and get more back towards the middle. Same with cancer. Mm -hmm. So your immunology is is incredibly complex, and it it's it's so responsive that every day it can do a different thing. And so in the chronically ill person it may it may be naturally suppressed 
your body will often suppress your immune function when you've been sick a long time, just because you have no reserves to have an immune response mm. you know, of any type. So that's your immune system. The next is exactly the same story with different chemicals, and that's your hormonal system, the endocrine system. Uh, in chronic illness, this is probably one of the first things that I started to see patterns with with chronically ill folks, largely because it was easier to test than some of these other things too, so I could actually get data and, and watch. You're just like your immune system, your endocrine system will adjust your hormones as needed. Now, they do typical things. We can expect they're going to do certain things, uh, but they're very dynamic. So if you're uh, very healthy and you suddenly get a stressor, you know, your adrenals may do a particular thing with your hormones. And then the next day they may calm down or two or three days later. If you've been sick a long time, as I said, you're your immune system can either slow down or speed up because of your chronic illness. Your endocrine system, a lot of times, is the way your body will say, we don't know what's wrong out there, um, but we need to slow your cells and your metabolism down because you can't handle operating at normal speed. So a lot of the reasons that people will feel fatigued and have sleep disturbance and all this other stuff is because the body's trying to just pull back the energy so that you're not sick at a real high rate. Um, mm. And then you start to heal certain things and your, you know, your hormone system will respond to that, sometimes appropriately and sometimes not. So hormones are a huge thing. Uh, the next is uh, psychosocial is what I call it, but it's basically you know both your relationship with yourself on the internal dialogue and then your relationship with family, friends, work, all those things. Um, and I think, you know, everybody's seen whether they're a healthcare provider or not, you know, we've probably all known somebody that had some sort of problem that wouldn't go away. And then they had a life change or <clears throat> a job change or whatever. And suddenly that problem, you know, went away, or we've seen people with no problems and suddenly they have a big mm -hmm. life change. And then they suddenly have a lot of health problems. So, you know, that's a big, big area. And it's one of the sad things that I see in uh, chronic illness care, especially, is that the family often uh, and, and friends often don't have a chronic illness. So if you're the patient, you can get very isolated yeah. and they don't mm. mean to do that. Yeah. But it's just like you're, you know, if you let's say your partner um, or your children or, or just your best friend or whatever has never really had health problems or super healthy. And they've never really felt that bad And here. You're just sick all the time and, or you're going to the doctor all the time or whatever. It can get very isolating, even in the best of circumstances. And certainly there's also a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of abuse that goes on too. Um, which, you know, that's one of those things that you wish wouldn't happen, but over time, you know, most of it is, non-abusive isolation or other things but uh you know there there's some really really hard things for your you know your mind body connection to deal with when you're chronically ill um one that could easily be first if i did have a hierarchy again there's no hierarchy here mm -hmm. uh is your digestive function and your gi tract um and most people kind of get that, like without food turning into nutrients and everything, our life will end at some point. Um, the thing that 
I've learned over the years uh, as we learn more about that wonderful system of digesting. And if you go back, like in the history of naturopathic medicine, you know, it was always, well, if you don't know what to do, you can treat the gut and the liver and the person probably get better, which is true. Um, well, with the addition of our knowledge of the GI having its own immune system, its own nervous system, and those having crosstalk to the rest of the body, the huge amount of, you know, microbes that we carry in our digestive tract, most of which are supposed to be there and help us, but how badly that ecology can go off the rails. And if you think about it, once you get to a certain point, um, your chronic illness will slow your digestive function down. So you're not getting nutrients, et cetera. Uh, but also um, your uh, digestive tract can get so uh, kind of off the way or misguided that it just doesn't function like it's supposed to anymore. So, and a lot of the treatments that we have to use throughout the course of treating chronic illness in some of these other areas I talked about are, are kind of hard on the GI tract. So you're always kind of trying to reclaim the gut uh, mm. and, and get it back to some mm -hmm. kind of normal function. And then the last one that I put on the list, uh, and again, it's not last for any reason other than it's just, it was number eight, uh, is uh, physical and structural. So of course that could include things like uh, movement, working out, exercise, you know, things we think of there, uh, but also structural things, uh, you know, that, that could have to do with, um, you know, more linear uh, concepts like uh, scarring and restrictions. Those can create a lot of dysfunction uh, or other things that may not be as easy to see that are, as, you know, restrictive in nature. Um, and so normally with people, especially when they've been sick a long time, again, your, your, your biochemical self is all off track, your physical body responds to that. So you can get very restricted or uh, a lot of muscle inflammation that slows you down or joint inflammation or other things. And, you know, just like you always had to have to keep after the GI tract to get it healing, you really have to keep after the physical body. Because uh, as you start to get better, if you don't start to move the physical body and make it work, um, it you can only keep the rest of the healthy things so long because we live in the physical body. So those are the eight areas. No big deal. Yeah, whatever. Just, sure. just a couple things to think of. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, guys. You know, guys. One of the things you, you just sort of glossed over, which often, you know, I think a lot of experts do, and we only have so much time and I know the depth. Of I, I do know is, we, we don't have all day, right? <laughs> yeah. If only. But one, but one of the, I think a bigger level concept that I sort of maybe caught on to there is that you said a couple of times in a couple of the uh, areas that were, you say the body will slow things down. Mm. I think you talked about it with the endocrine part and then mm. you talked about it with the uh, immune. Was it the immune? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You talked about it at least in a couple of zones there. And, and, and the so gut. the, and the gut. Yeah. 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 Actually that's what, that's what that third time is what got me is when you, I started thinking all, all my patients who's, you know, their guts don't, they just don't absorb. Like they don't work. Right. They're right. like, maybe, maybe they have a bit of like uh, slowness in motility. And a lot of that's under, you know, autonomic nervous system control. Um, and I was, I was thinking, I got to ask him about this because what the inference there is that there is a, a larger intelligence, even above these eight areas, there's like a larger intelligence. Like when you said the immune system, it's not about just turning it up or down. It's about kind of a, an intelligence that knows when to 
hit the gas and when to hit the brake or, or whatever. So can you talk a little bit about that intelligence that you're just kind of glossing over? <laughs> well, I, I don't mean to gloss over it. So in trying to teach this mostly to healthcare provider type folks, but I, I now talk about it a lot with the patient populations because, you know, they, it helps them understand why it takes so long to get better sometimes. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. graphically, what I've tried to do, which often falls short, is, is to have a, a circle uh, with some kind of <laughs> graphics in there that there's like eight graphics, okay? And they're, they're numbers, so we keep track of them. And, and when I first did that, it was to show that those eight areas, you know, one might be really big, taking up a lot of space, and one might be really little. And then at the end of the case, it's the opposite. But then I started looking at it and saying, yeah, th- there's this other factor, which is, the, is as I think you said, there's sort of the, this, there's this innate uh, intelligence the body uses to not have you die. That's really the, the point. Yeah your body and this is something a long time before i really had thought my way through it that i used to tell patients is you've been sick for one year five year 10 30 40 years whatever your body is not going to likely die from this because your body won't let you you might want to but your body's not going to let you but what your body does the price you pay for that with chronic illness is this innate intelligence that the body has says if this is all we have to work with we're going to send messages to all these areas of the body to usually long term you know first year or two of an illness it might send messages to speed up but long term it's going to send messages to say we're stuck in first gear that's all we got we can't push too hard on the gas and so whether it's through the immune system or the digestive tract or hormonally is usually kind of the first assault. Of course, your brain gets in on it too. Um, it, it, it forces your body into a slow state of function. And so that's why as you start to, to treat people, it's very hard because you're treating something that has a potential to go through four gears of speed and it's stuck in one. So you got to kind of go slow. Then also as you release some of these blocks or get them working better or whatever, the body will back up and say, Ooh, we can do this now. And look at all this energy. We can focus on this problem. You didn't even know you had. Hmm. Um, So, yes. So that uh, I came later as I was teaching, I called the circle. I said, the ghost in the machine is this whole circle and what's behind right. the circle. Mm-hmm. And that's that your body, you know, between, and we think, well, is the brain doing this or whatever? Really every cell is getting into the act, but they feed back to most of these areas, especially the functional areas like hormones, gut, immune, et cetera. They feed back to these areas through, through those messenger systems to say, okay, we were going to have you speed up to try and kick this infection out or whatever. Uh, That's not working. Uh, You are so sick now. You're so malnourished, everything else. We're just going to make everything run really slowly. And that's how, that's how you feel when you've been chronically ill for a while. So yeah. And, and that ghost in the machine is also what decides which thing you're going to work on next, you know, because 
and, and that's a real frustrating thing I, as you know just doing it as a clinician but also trying to teach this uh, to folks with cases is there's not you don't always go and you fix this first and then number two is this and then number three mm-hmm. is this a lot of times you've got a order that works out makes sense but sometimes you know the body gets to decide and mm-hmm. the way i would tell patients is uh is they, what's next i'll say i don't know uh your your body has a language it's speaking it happens to be a weird language without words but it's telling us things through symptoms sometimes through lab tests and other stuff and it will decide what we need to work on next our job is to be sensitive to that so you have to kind of keep track of what your body's doing i have to be open uh, to letting your body tell me what's next um, and, and and that really is kind of what eventually became these eight areas was because I had to have anchors to go back to to look and mm-hmm. see well who's who's calling out for attention you know this month um, and, and the other thing too this is I, I think it's I think it's an important historical comment I guess um, one of the many things that I teach uh, providers is uh intravenous nutrient therapy and i started it was actually illegal for me to do that when i started but statute limitations are way worn out on any of those illegal things so we love we level rebel with a I, good cause that's right <laughs> so we i would literally tell patients look uh we're gonna do this and you can't tell a soul that we're gonna do this uh it'll be like you spell get away there's only it. one paul anderson you yeah, don't don't do that now kids there's, there's no <laughs> There's the internet now. Like they'll be, they'll be live streaming it. And, you know, know. That's uh, for life now. We didn't, you used to have to have pictures like developed back then. Like no one was taking pictures. There we, we barely could record. So, but the reason I started doing it was I had, you know, this kind of global history in the allopathic world. And I had done some work in hospitals and other stuff. I was not afraid of the technology of IV therapy but I never really thought of using it for nutrients. And of course there were some people, there's like, you know, 10 people in the country doing it. Uh, And so it was this real sort of counterculture thing. But then I started thinking, well, the first patient that came in that, that kind of got me to do it was in uh, probably my first year of practice. And it was just a train wreck of a, a case and nothing was working or gut was ruined. And I just looked at her and I thought, there's so many things I'd like you to take as supplements or eat differently or whatever, and we can get there. But like your body is just stuck. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm i not going to get much for nutrition in, even with the best of diets, which we were working on. So let's try and put it in intravenously, go around your gut. And I would use that as a way to, to send signals to the cells to say, hey, let's feed you and see mm-hmm. what perks up. Mm-hmm. And then things start to work better. And then you can start to move the case forward and you can actually get their gut to work or diet to work. Um, and, and and there's many other examples of that, but like, so some- but So hardware, hardware can make yeah. the software work. Is that what you're doing? There? Like it, it can work like that? Yeah, yeah. You can, um, and, and you don't, you know, it doesn't always have to be, intravenous things like there's a lot of constitutional treatments that really work that way too uh like uh hydrotherapy if you do it enough uh you know all the constitutional things um a long time ago uh i have many places i've got licenses 
one, two of them included acupuncture. So we would do, you know, um, acupuncture, oil medicine. Uh, so there's a lot of constitutional treatments that work that way. But yes, it's basically kind of trying to go around the system and say, we understand things are not working well here. We're going to really kind of forcibly, because we're using external forces, uh, tell yourselves that it's okay to, to move on a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that overall, you know, wisdom of feedback that the body has notices this and decides it's going to kind of loosen up the grip a little bit, so to speak. Um, you see this a lot too with um, early hormonal manipulations that go on. So if the body's using hormonal manipulation to tamp down your activity and you're judicious with it in getting it to work again, um, through whatever means you do that, you can start to, to kind of turn the ship that way. It's sort of like sending nutrients in that the body can't get otherwise through an IV or something. Um, and so the, the critical part is it's not like acute care medicine where you have one hormone problem, you give them a hormone and they feel better. This is little nudges. And then you respond to the nudges. And then so a lot of times they don't need that anymore and you move on, right? Mm -hmm. Just like they they shouldn't need IV nutrients forever. You know, like, it's, I mean, unless there's they're missing body parts or something. Mm -hmm. um, so these things that you're doing initially to just uh, kind of, you know, knock on the door of that feedback system, that internal intelligence, you're just trying to get it to move and let it know it's okay to maybe go back to where health used to be. And you're using them for the window they're appropriate. Uh, and then, you know, you can stop and move on to other stuff, uh, which is, that is a real freaky thing for doctors to get their heads around, you know, because we're taught so we can remember it largely. These things is, you know, you, you do it this way. This is the way mm -hmm. it works. Mm -hmm. No. Or, yeah, it'll work that way for a period of time. Uh, but then the body either doesn't need it or needs something else or more, you know, and then you can do that. You've been kind of alluding to a little bit of this already with how things will change through the healing process and how it might be a matter of things might appear when they shift. It could feel like it's getting worse before it gets better or how things have to be reprioritized with how your approach is. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I find like sometimes as a clinician, I find like that's one of the hardest things to navigate around and how to work with clients to, to keep them on course um, and not lose faith in, in, in the flow, because I always try to tell people, it's like healing isn't linear. There's like ebbs and flows. Every time you give it a new challenge, yeah. there's it has to recalibrate, it has to retriage, it has to right. So, and I, that was one of the things that you really talked about in the in the conference when I heard you speak about this. And you've already been kind of touching on that, but I kind of want to focus in a little bit more. Yeah, that that's a good next place to go. Uh, I think to break that down a little bit. I think, and the first thing is that you know, just like um, being able to look your patient in the face when they say, well, what are we going to do next? And to say legitimately, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I have, you know, I have like a hundred options <laughs> and only one is going to be appropriate for you when your body makes a shift. Yeah. And so a lot of it too is getting the patient used to this idea that 
while there, there's a lot of art to this follow-up, you know, process, because you're you're not going from A to B all of the time. In fact, usually not. You're going from A to X, Y, and Z, and then uh, you know, and then you're doing numbers and then calculus. That's kind of how it works. Um, <laughs> so a lot of it too is meeting the patient there, and you like the first visit. They're they're going to maybe hear the words, but they probably won't internalize it unless they've done a lot of work around this or something. But basically, I got to the point where I would tell the patient on the first visit, you know, okay, we've gone through everything. I kind of have this idea of where we need to start or what we need to do to figure out where to start. But you need to understand that this process is is going to be, you know, like a roller coaster a bit. And so there'll be ups, there'll be downs. You'd be really happy when there's ups. You'd be really pissed when they're downs. But what we want is the trend to be moving upward mm -hmm. over time. And I said, if you can keep that in your brain. And then also, I, I would always end with this. Well, we, we spent all this time talking about this. Uh, I really hope that you like me because we're going to spend a lot of time together. And you're not always going to be happy with, uh, with what's happened. But we're mm. always going to be doing the next thing to eventually get things better. And uh, and that would either they would they would come back or I would never see them again because there's a you know it's a group of people and it's just you know our personalities are different. There are a group of people that really need a friend. Uh, this is not my uh, I I never really use these terms, but my friend did, and it kind of his doctor it made sense. And he would say the people they're looking for uh, like a guru or something who automatically knows the path before mm -hmm. you take it. Mm -hmm. And that person doesn't exist. Right. But there's a lot of clinicians uh, because of the way their brain works too, who say, well, we always do this first and then we do this next. And, and in X number of months, you're going to be at this point now for maybe the middle of the bell curve for their patients, they do, and that works. And I've had patients with really, you know, horrendous chronic illness caused by an outside insult that wasn't their fault, you know, but their body just got really, you know, thrown off track. And a lot of them, that was too, they needed to know that by week X, I was going to be at this place. Mm -hmm. I was like, I could tell you that, but it'd be a lie. You know, you might be way better, you might not. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of it is this communication between the healthcare provider and the patient, and all, and and every time I would see patients, I would I tell them this, the short version of the story again, because if it was going better and they were on a sort of an upswing, they're happy. If they hit that crash or they, you know, upswing often means the body's getting ready to come back and say you haven't looked at this area at all. <laughs> boom. Uh, and I would say, yeah, this, I'm celebrating with you this, uh, you know, but remember now your body's got a little more juice and it's going to tell us something else. So it, a lot of it's just keeping that on, on the mind because human nature is if, if I'm feeling chronically ill, I don't want to feel this way. I want to be better. And I want to know when I'm going to be better. And um, only your body knows that. So, so the, the practitioner side, you know, it, it's it's true to say that's the art of it is okay we're at this bridge are we going to cross it with a lot of resources or just kind of nudge things along still or 
does this bridge indicate that on the other side we now need to deal with organ systems or you know chemistry or whatever uh that's something we haven't touched yet you know um and being just really clear with patients that these are the decisions we need to make so here's how we know where to go next um i did find and as i said earlier you know this these eight things or there's probably more too were very amorphous in my mind, but they were my anchors. And so when I was looking at the patient and they've reached this new spot that they've never been to before, and sometimes I'd never seen before, I would just go back through the list and say, what are these, what's this presentation or the labs or whatever? What's this telling me about where I should like turn a rock over and look underneath it here? Um, and really most chronically ill patients, once they get the idea that you're you're not saying, I don't know what's going to happen because nothing's going to happen. You're saying, I don't know what's going to happen with you particularly. I know there's this pattern out there. I know what your body's likely to do. But what your body wants me to do in a month, it, it's got to tell me. I, you know, I may not know. Um, and so that's really the, it, it isn't, there's an art to it, but also the more I did it, the more I look at it, the more I follow people's patterns, the more you see like that we're kind of calling it this innate wisdom of the body to kind of, you know, try and go off track or back on track. That innate wisdom uses particular things to communicate uh, with your body and your symptoms and everything. And knowing that those are very, you know, biologically predetermined things, even if they're confused, you know, we, we know a lot more about how they work. Um, the art is then informed by, you know, what is the patient's body saying through either objective or subjective data. And then we kind of know how the machine works. So where would it be most having challenges to give me these symptoms? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's when you, you know, you take your, your doctor, lots of school brain, and connect that to what you're actually seeing in real time. Um, so I think that's the that's the process. And it's like that's it's hard, obviously, for the patient, and it's really hard to, for the patient to kind of stick with that because yeah. you know it's is a process and it's not quick for most folks. Um, but on the other hand, it's even harder sometimes on the on the provider because we don't like to be that uncomfortable. We don't like walking in a room. And sometimes having no idea what the conversation needs to be that day, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, so a lot of it, and and here's something I I learned very slow. I tend to learn most things very slowly and painfully. But the more uncomfortable I was with that process and thinking, oh no, I'm going to open this door. I know which patient it is, and it's probably not going to be great news. And it's going to be something bizarro and you've never heard of before and all this. And it only took me about 60 years. And I got to the point where literally uh, I was able to let go of that and say, that's okay. Mm. It's going to be all right. I can't bring that crap in because then the patient feels that. And then they're agitated because things aren't going well. I'm agitated because right. I'm wanting it to go well for them. And, mm -hmm. You know, I can't magically make it happen. If I can just be 
there, know there's this process and I've got some anchors to go back to and let go of all that anxiety and just let them you know, do what they need to do. It goes a lot better. It's a lot better healing model, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's for most, I mean, it's probably really enlightened people that already know that, but it literally it took me a long time to get, you know, and it came in chunks. It's like, you have to get comfortable with doing this, but um, eventually it was like, well, that's part of my job that I have to, I have to get myself sort of centered and clear and I mm-hmm. need to be okay with wherever you are today. And I need to make you know that I'm okay with it and we're going to be okay. I'm not going to let you die. I think intellectually, we kind of know that it's just hard to like really step well, into practicing that. it as a risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> 12 just... hours ago, I was practicing it with a patient <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, uh, oh, oh no, it's not a switch that you turn on. I, God, I no. just take a big, deep breath and say, oh, it's, uh, this is that one. And, uh, and I have no idea what's happened in the last two weeks, and uh, and I didn't, none of it sounded good last time. So let's let's see where we can go. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say that once I was able to work into doing that, the the patient's level of anxiety it's, it doesn't go away, but you can deal with it a lot more, you know, a, a lot more in a in a doable manner because you're not escalating. You know, you're not anxious and upset and they're not anxious you know it's sort of that's that's a a resonance you don't want you know you brought up you brought up healing model there dr anderson and it made me think of just something which um it may seem unrelated but you said healing it's not unrelated actually it, it may seem like it but i was going to ask you what what do you think after your years of practice and mentoring what do you think is like the a better model and again you're probably going to answer like all smart people answer say well it depends but um i'm going to ask you anyway um you know uh what's a ideally sort of better model for the majority of of people let's say multiple sort of uh touch point like multiple appointments where we see people quite frequently or like these longer intense ones because like i can see the value of both and i've done kind of both i probably lean more towards a longer appointment and and I see the value of it, but there's also value in multiple, um, you know, interactions with the patient. Like, do you have, do, what's your, what's your advice or, or sort of experience in, in your life with like multiple appointments versus like long, intense uh, sort of format? Yeah, no, I, um, well, yes, just to allay your fears, I'll say, well, it depends, uh, but, but, <laughs> but, it, you know, everything yeah. has a context where, it, where it's meaningful. Um, what, what I found was very good for, and and again, we're not talking about acute medicine. We're talking about chronic complex illness where there's way more than one problem. What I sort of found was the first two meetings with the patient, I needed to have not really an exorbitant amount of time, but like the most time that would be reasonable you know, because the patient only wants to spend so much time with you too. Um, the first two were pretty intense because mm-hmm. you're not only doing a lot of investigation and history mm-hmm. and maybe reading 4,000 pages of labs or whatever, uh, or you're ordering a whole bunch of stuff and then you're interpreting it. So there's all that, you know, doctor work you're doing. But the other thing is, is this, um, this you know, psychosocial, mental, emotional thing 
uh, you know, for, for you as the doctor, but also the patient that where they're going through, you have to kind of tap into a couple of things. One is where, where are they with all this? Okay. And by that, I mean, I've had some people who've been down the trail long enough, they work with good people and they're at a place where they understand they're not going to be better next week. And they get some of these finer points. They just want to come to you now for a particular part of the journey where you still need to spend a bunch of time, but we're, we're not working as much on that big unknown black box thing. Well, then we're going to spend our time figuring that out. Number one, uh, talking about how we're going to plan and process and all of that. Whereas the people who um, had been in the acute care medicine model with a chronic illness, and then they would come in maybe with no treatment, maybe being told it was all in their head, or maybe on like 20 meds. Um, and you're starting in a whole different place with them. So like you maybe can't jump to some of these other, you're so, your investigations aren't going to be too much different, you know, the, the doctor work. But that, that meeting you, like, you know, my self to yourself and getting calm and okay with each other and knowing, you know, we want to work together. The first two, I would spend as much time as I could because I really felt when you're that sick, you need to know, uh, especially when your doctor is insane and telling you, I don't know where we're going next. I'll tell you when we get there. Okay. Uh, you know, and all this, I mean, the more honest I got with people, it became easier and they, they would laugh and I would laugh, but I'd be like, I'm not saying I don't know what's going on. I'm saying, uh, I need to know what your body's telling me next time we, we uh, yeah. open, open this up. So then what I would tell them now, I will, I will language a little different with students. So, you know, uh, doctors, I just say, these are people you keep on a very short leash until you know exactly how their body, what their pattern is. And generally, I don't tell patients I'm going to keep on a short leash. <laughs> uh, but what I say is, look, you know, I made that joke about your, I hope you like me because we see a lot of each other. In the beginning, we're going to have a few visits where there's a lot of time for us to sort through. We've got a lot of work to do. Okay, get a plan. But then... I might make some changes that I literally want to know in one week how you're doing. And that doesn't mean to do a super long visit. But the reason I'm going to do that is because I don't know if I go and I just give you this little nudge here, which I've given to 100 other people. What I know from those other 100 people is 60 of them, I know exactly what's going to happen. Hmm. The other 40, that nudge is going to do nothing or it's going to do way too much. Mm -hmm. And I don't want you to be waiting a month to tell me mm -hmm. right. that, that either nothing happened or too much happened. Uh, and so I, you know, once we get past this sort of initial first couple, three visits that are longer, the following ones are more, these are course corrections. And so they can be shorter, but they're, I'm, they might be seven to 10 days for a few times till we get a flow. And then I might push them out further and further once we have this, you know, I, I kind of know how your body's going to react. Mm -hmm. And then I'll tell them, look, if we get out, let's say it's six months from now, and you've really made gains in a couple areas, and now your body is a different body, and we're going to start pushing on other things, we may go back to a 10-day 10, 10 follow-up for a little bit. Again, short course corrections. 
and then move on. And I would also kind of plant the seed in their mind that at certain points, whether it's maybe three months in or six months in, we should have another one of these a little bit longer visit just to get the, you know, just, just to have my brain have time to connect with you, but also to think through all the possibilities of what might be going on. And also, so you can tell me the story of how the, you know, how the roller coaster has gone. So I found it was, and it's not, terribly formulaic but it generally worked that way we're on the front end longer time gave us time to you know to trust each other and to get a plan and do what we needed to at the three or six month check-in we probably already know well we should recheck a couple of things so before they come for that one you know if there's labs or whatever we're gonna you know we have those uh and then we got a little more time to talk and and say okay let's look backwards six months here's where you started. And often when things get better, they forget to add the problem. Yeah. And, mm. you know, you're not like being a downer to remind them. It's just like, well, you, you did start out and you weren't sleeping at all, you know, or, or, or you, you know, you could walk to the bathroom and back and that's all the energy you had. Uh, and it's good for them to realize there has been some progress in some cases right. too. But then also I would just let them into my process and I'd say, here's what this tells me tells us, you know, the, this is the history with your body. I now know a little better how things are going to go at the next, you know, however long we're working on this. Um, and um, I remember early in, in practice, before I had a lot of words for this, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I remember sitting with people and there's just some, it, quiet is really important i think for the at least the way i process with other humans when they're real sick and um i would just someone would tell me this bizarre story of what their body just did with all the information we gave it over the last few months and i would say wow um okay i got a lot of ideas but i'm just can we just sit quiet for uh this two three minutes might be a little uncomfortable but I have to now think through, you know, of the 49 different possibilities, which ones your body chose. And, and as soon as I would say that, they, they'd say, sure, if that helps. <laughs> I said, so I'm not, not talking to you because I don't have anything to say. It's just, let's just process this. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and there's also, you know, and, and I think different people do this differently. I, um, I really find that if I can be quiet and, and get my ego out of the way, which is real hard and, and just, just be physically, uh, even if someone's remote, you know, with, on zoom or the phone just be present with them. My mind body connection will start to tell me the right places to start looking, but mm. I have to quiet down and I have to get, you know, my ego and everything out of the way. And that's also real hard, you know, because we we want to just have all the answers and know and and it's real awesome to do that and what i realized is i should have you know been a you know like a neurologist or something if i wanted to do that uh hard choose, to teach it too i bet you know it's 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 uh i was gonna say it's the worst it's not the worst um it's very very difficult because you're you know just like with patients so uh, for if you if you are envisioning a a career teaching doctors about chronic illness in the future. Um, it's the same process mentoring, you know, a healthcare provider and, or, or like 
when I used to be, you know, more in the schools and teaching, you know, second, third, and fourth year students or or residents, it's the same thing because you as the teacher are dealing with the the fears and anxieties and unknowns that the student has. Hmm. And so you not only have to teach the mechanics of this, but you also have to somehow impart that it's okay for you not to have all the answers. Your job is to be fine. You're the seeker. You're, you're not the, you know, all knowing orb. Um, so th that's, that's probably the most difficult part about, about teaching it. I mean, the mechanics are a little uh, clunky, you know, because there's so many moving parts, but a lot of it is, you know, you, the provider getting to a place where you're okay, you know, with, with that process. And, you can kind of model that and kind of tell people how to do it, but they really have to come to that themselves. Just like your patient has to come to whatever they need to come to themselves. Yeah. It's hard to be a good naturopath. I, I believe it's one of the hardest things to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that every day. And uh, I feel like like a lot of the wisdom, any any little bits of wisdom I get, I always feel like they're paradoxical, like what you said there. Like you have to be, you have to keep working and, and get better, but at the same time, you have to be okay with knowing you're learning all the time. Um, and it's nice to be sure and have your grounded things, but you also have to be able to go, you know, like take that quiet time and go whatever tools yeah. you have to go. I, I, I'm pretty sure we have to go here, like use your intuition or, or whatever yeah. those other faculties uh, are. Yeah. I I think that that's huge. And, and some people just naturally do that. you like, they don't even think about it. Other people, you know, because a job as a, a doctor, you know, you, you do, there's a lot of important things you're dealing with. So you do need to know stuff, you know, and you need to know the things not to do and the, where the guardrails are and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but the rest of it, yeah, you, you know, you have to kind of, clear clear your ram out you know and, and get rid of all your other you know worries and and preconceived ideas of that patient or the previous five or whatever and then you know and kind of move into it a little more you know a little bit more clear um but it's you know um it's it's a process it's it's not easy but it's doable it's like anything you just keep going back and practicing it um and you get better um and then you have the confidence to learn more because then something will come up that's brand new to you. And you'll be like, I can probably figure the answer out quicker than I used to, but I'm still starting with an unknown, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's moments, like it's not all, you know, death and destroy. There's more moments where you know exactly what to do because you've been down that road enough, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you do collect that sort of, you know, knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that I don't know... Um, I don't know how the universe works. Uh, that would be wonderful if I did. I don't. But what I do know is the sicker my patients get, the sicker and more complex the next band will be. Because it's like somehow the ether finds out, oh, you're doing this. Let's teach you some new stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're still learning. You said earlier, like you're Every still learning day, like yeah. all the time. Literally yeah. yesterday with, uh, well, all the patients, but one in particular. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, 
holy hell, you know, and, 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 you know, this, this is a person who's been uh, hospitalized twice. They're so complex and they had literally every medical specialty trying to sort out what was wrong. And, and other than the obvious pathological things, everyone's like, we have no idea, you know, Mm -hmm. the patient calls back. I'm like, well, find anything out. Not much we didn't already know. I mean, we have a little bit more data, um, you know, and the, and they said, well, you, you know, you're the only person that ever has any ideas that go anywhere. I was like, and then I, you know, I have this thought of, I should have been like, you know, fireman or something. Like <laughs> it's like, it's like the first time I had an anaphylactic patient a long time ago. It, it didn't last long because I had to save their life. But the first thought I had was, I wish this was happening somewhere else, like in someone else's office. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you could just die somewhere else. Um, and then I realized, well, that's, uh, you don't Not get to make option. that choice today. So it's, you know, it's, and I, I'm saying that not to be a downer, but for context that like, I don't think if, if you are committed to continually learning, patients or students or whatever will continually be sent to you that keep pushing your boundaries and Mm -hmm. and the sooner you get comfortable with that that like you're not going to you know really reach a place where you just press a button every day and everything works um it it makes it uh, a little more doable and uh, it's it makes it more fun uh but yeah, I mean, people think I, I know a lot or whatever, and I might know a lot about some stuff, but uh, I, you know, the patients I have now, I couldn't have even conceptually talked to them 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and certainly not 20 or more years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe I had some that were, were similar, and I, I don't know what I did. You know, but uh, I mean, sometimes just being there and doing the best you can is great and it it does help. But like, you know, the world is sicker also. I mean, people are way sicker than they were 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. Um, even the chronically ill folks. So, yeah, you just, you know, it's but, you know, the other like you get all philosophical, the older you get. It's like, well, okay, you know, so I'm not a fireman. Um, uh, This is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So you should just be comfortable with that. And yeah. Uh, yeah. This is this is your this is your role. Uh the you have, you know, these whatever you want to call it, you know, leanings or talents or gifts or whatever. So your job is to make the most you can with that and help these people. And your job's not to do other stuff. It's you know, it's not to, you know, help other types of people or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's you know. Sometimes that's a tall order to talk yourself into. Well, I mean, I got you up on, on my level there with, with my with my man, Jean-Pierre Barral, the osteopath from France, who he's 87. He still sees uh, 22 patients a day because he thinks you can't teach if you don't um, if you don't still, you know, practice something. Yeah. And he he reads anatomy in the morning mm-hmm. um, and he can feel every bloody structure with his hands like it's absolute but he's he's still going and so if there was anyone that knows how to palpate you know any kind of structural uh, issue 
or fun. He can, yeah, he can help. He can palpate so much with his hands. He's got, he's absolutely magic, but he still finds people who stump him. Hmm. And, and I find that's, that's very interesting that you, you say that too, because, um, yeah, I, this is, I guess, more for the, the, the pay or the, uh, the naturopaths who are listening and, and it's a tall order to like, I already know I won't ever be as good a naturopath as, as you, and I won't be as good an osteopath as Jean-Pierre Burrell, but I'm going to go down trying and being comfortable with, cause, cause you guys still deal with that too. You still deal with the, the, um, um you're still pushing you know so much but you know that you don't know it all and you it's it's there's kind it's hard to know that you'll never know it all but you have to keep trying to know, know it all yeah it, <laughs> it, that is a difficult realization to come to but it's the way it's the way life works um yeah first i i think um you you're you're younger than both of us that you're talking about you should never say you'll never be as good as we are because you could be better. Um, that's just about, you know, because, and that's the other thing, like you, you know, other people's practices focus in different areas and so, you know, not everyone's cut out to do this particular thing. And so they might have a little more linear successes and, you know, kind of just, they just got to practice and, and, you know, it's not as, you know, they're, they're not being stumped all the time and forced to learn and for, you know, whatever, which is, that's great, you know, and they, but they learn like real specific things to dial in what they do. Mm -hmm. Perfect. It was all different pathway for all of us. Um, but you know, you're, I truly believe, I didn't used to believe this, but I've lived it so long. I truly believe that you're the patients who need you and whatever it is, your combination of, uh, of, uh, you know, interestingness or whatever, and, and talent is, they will find you somehow. And those are the people that what you do resonates with what they need. And that's probably different for every person, even if you, they're in the chronic illness or the cancer space, there's different shades of what's needed there. And you can, as long as you're a learner, you know, till you drop dead, I mean, you're going to be really good at you and your patients and that's that's very true um i've literally tried to uh change my practice mode uh i stopped a long time ago but i tried it three times earlier on thinking i'm gonna do stuff that's you know a little more linear and it never worked the people like the the only patients that came in were these people and I wasn't even trying to find them, you know? Um, so I, I do believe that <laughs> and that's, I, I finally released that to the universe and said, okay, I, I get the message. Uh, we try and humble you once in a while. eh? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> well, in my case now it's every day. <laughs> it's like I, the fireman thing, you know, or whatever, you can pick any other profession in the world. Uh, yeah. Um, but then, you know, when I'm, collecting collecting myself after the uh the ego damage i'll i'll say well no this is what you're supposed to be doing that's part of it and you know like you said with the osteopath you know reading anatomy it's like a lot of the stuff that um and, and i because i teach so much people are probably not surprised at like how much i read and how much you know studying i do um but many many of the things either are the basics that we just know more about, or I'm trying to 
reacquaint myself with, mm-hmm. you know, because the basics are things are uh, human nature is we, we make the basics seem a lot easier than they really are. But you don't realize that, like, for, for example, anatomy, you can never know all of it. Like you, there's textures and things that Amen. you learn, you know, and uh, or or, you know, the endocrine system or the immune system. I mean, good God, they, you know, there's chemistry in the immune system that we know now that we didn't know about months ago. Yeah. Let alone when I was learning immunology, mm-hmm. you know, like it was, it was so much easier to know immunology back then because it were, mm-hmm. we didn't know how it worked. We, we had these large scale understandings and, but that's also the knowledge that I use then when new stuff comes out and I can filter it through that and say, mm-hmm. Oh, this, this takes this little concept I used to have. And guess what? There's 300 parts to it. Ah, we, <laughs> we knew it was complicated. Look at this. Now we know all these things, you know, and you, it's like, yeah. Um, so no, a lot of it's just, you know, okay, I'm, I, I'm going to just learn, you know, I'm going to do what I need to learn. And if you're ever out of ideas, you'll your, your next patient will give you something you need to learn. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's been my experience. That's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, I think, oh my God, where do I even begin? I feel like my head's about to explode. Um, I think like, (laughs) try to keep it together. I think really the the biggest take-home message is that the body is like this really interesting complex symphony and you take a note out and it changes the symphony. You add a note in, it changes the symphony. So every time you move through trying to help someone create a a better song it's Mm -hmm. there's you know it's 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 adding a note changes that right Mm -hmm. so when you add a new treatment program it changes how everything is it comes together again um and i find i think i think a lot of people even when it's not a super chronic complex condition i think a lot of people still oversimplify what their symptoms should mean to them sure. and they don't realize like we've talked about this before on the podcast where a lot of people are like well this came out of nowhere and we're like kind of probably didn't come out of nowhere it's probably been like simmering <laughs> for 10 years right, right? right. Yeah. um yeah. so it's not as 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 like wham bam as i think a lot of people mm-hmm. think oh i got sick i just go to the doctor i take this pill we're fine right. we've been very much um yeah. inundated with that type of message so i that's why i thought it was so important to bring you on to start to have people start thinking about health and disease and symptoms in the way that we should be viewing it that it's not just linear it's not point a to point b there's it's very much like this like it's like it, it's this and this is a guy branching, who knows the linear right this is it and it's and it's just it's it's to not to sound like a total cliche but it really is a science and an art to try to understand how the body operates and how to work with the ebbs and flows of it and there's you're deciphering codes that sometimes we're just like nobody knows what that means yet because as much as we know like you said a month ago we knew things we didn't know things about the immune system and i always talk about the gut health man the progress we've made with just understanding the microbiome in the last two yeah. years yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's always something to unpack yeah. and know so for those newbie nds like don't beat yourself up if you don't have all the answers because no, like the, season, the seasoned nds are still learning new stuff yeah research is always evolving and this world is evolving and bringing new challenges the last three years was a whole new set of challenges for everybody <laughs> so <laughs> like a blender right? yeah just woo. yeah, yeah. so exciting. 
So it's, it's, it's a challenging profession to be in, but it's a very exciting one. If you, if you have that keen interest of, of continued learning. Yeah. It's, and, and honestly, without really understanding what I was doing, that's why I chose naturopathic medicine was because I I said, I, I, I want to stay in medicine, but I can't do it this way. There's nothing wrong with that model. I just, I can't do that. And I will be in trouble every day. I'm still in trouble a lot as a naturopath, but I saw what this, you know, one of my original mentors who is one of the old timers um, and is still alive, quite old now. I watched him work and I thought, cause he was doing this and sort of, he would talk to me about it, but mostly I just watched him work and I watched him what he would do. And I thought, I'll never be bored doing this. Uh, yeah. This seems like a place I could really apply like, you know, some, uh, you know, problem solving and other things. And I, and then the solutions could be outside of, you know, you know, if I need a surgery or a drug, it's there, but it could be a lot of things that aren't in that system. Yeah. And I, you know, bring that in. Um, I think you, you also said something that is, it's language I use with students and patients talking about symphonies i always would say you're trying to describe this innate sort of wisdom i would say your body is has this way of orchestrating what it needs and an orchestra is a lot of things you know you don't have an orchestra usually made of all clarinets or whatever uh and the conductor is working with each group of musicians to create this thing. And as you said, if you, you change a note, it changes the song, you know, but if you change, you know, if you change how you treat the horn section or, you know, what you tell, uh, you know, the oboes to do, it changes the way that the song feels too. And, and your body is literally doing this all the time to try and adjust, whether it's going towards sicker or trying to get better. And most people, like at least they may not like orchestra, they've really seen them, you know, they understand the concept and they've heard music. And and that was probably one of the best ways to get that, you know, that that sort of concept. And, and also for us to think about it, I think, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think that's a very potent analogy that you made. I just, just got a compliment from Dr. A. It's my life's complete. <laughs> <laughs> I can do more. And on that note, I'm that. done. <laughs> I, I think you guys are doing great. <laughs> well, let's let's just say. Um, I mean, it's it's always a pleasure. I could talk to, I could talk to you forever and uh, um, and learn and learn and learn from a guy who learns and learns and learns. So um, we could go on and on. But um, I just want to mention before we go, uh, Dr. Anderson newest book you had i think you had outside the box cancer therapies that was from about five years ago yeah we uh dr stengler and i published that i think in uh 2017 18 something like that yeah um and that is just what it says it's uh it's very research-based but talking about integrative naturopathic therapies in cancer uh, and also infused with like our experience of doing that for a long time. And as that book came out and that was sort of more of like, if you will, how to, um, or what to, mm -hmm. uh, 
I started really seeing that there was also this big part again of you know what I would just naturally do with cancer patients but I didn't really have language for I hadn't like synthesized it and I saw what a big part that was so the newer book uh cancer the journey uh, from diagnosis to empowerment the goal with any patient chronic illness cancer healthy person you want to be an empowered patient Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're always in charge or whatever, but like you're in charge of your body and you're in charge of how you manage things that are going on. And, you know, there's some really good research showing that, you know, empowerment in a patient, their drugs work better. Hmm. Their pain yeah, management is easier. Their quality amazing. of life, there's so many good things. But if you get a cancer diagnosis uh, or a chronic illness, it's you, it's like a baseball bat to your gut, you know, and, and you have to go from that feeling to trying to be empowered. So this book, it's a quick, easy read. There's not nearly as much research <laughs> in it as the other one. Uh, and I made it for people to be able to read quickly and, and sort of pick what they need to out of it. But it's just from, from my experience, a little bit from the empowerment research and, you know, chronic illness, cancer, uh, you know, mental, emotional research agnostic of what you do about your cancer you'd be treating it one way or the other or not treating it at all yeah. it's taking you or a loved one from that process of gee i don't want to have cancer diagnosis and i feel horrible to how do i process that and become become empowered um and so our our nice book people have uh, uh, a lot of those that i signed that are available for folks too can you uh, just repeat the names of your books and uh, they're available through Amazon. And I think we will try to find a way to add the link uh, of some sorts yeah. within the Spotify or Apple notes or at least on social media, but if yeah, you can just tell our public. So globally speaking, like, yeah, you can look us up on Amazon, but uh, there, there's actually a website called draabooks.com, D-R-A-B-O-O-K-S.com. Uh, really. And uh, it's got links if you don't want to search too much. Uh, some do go to, you know, outside uh, services and then like the signed books and stuff. We, I have uh, people to take care of that for us. Uh, and we'll, we'll put a link for the the new one in there. I'll send it to you or something. Great. Dr. A, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, and f- I, I loved this talk before and I loved it all over again. And I feel like every time I, I get the opportunity to um, listen to you, I feel a little bit more confident as a clinician, <laughs> but I also just feel a little bit more empowered. And I feel like I, I've, I understand how to support my clients in a better way. So it's always a privilege to get to learn from you. So thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it, it, as always, it's been a lot of fun, but I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. So thank you.